Welcome to the Scrapbook of Life with Teresa Khalil, a podcast on my journey to understand life, solve its mystery and live it fully. And on my journey so far, I met Mia Lambert, who changed her belief from Christianity to Krishna consciousness to a new religion, which probably you know what if you watched her episode. And uh, then I met the Farus or Michael, who changed his belief from Christianity also to Islam. I just realized, because I'm starting this journey, that when I'm busy documenting people's lives and trying to see this experience of existence through their belief, I actually don't have much time to think or reflect on on their views or uh, on what I learned from those people or what I discovered. So I thought that every few episodes I will make one episode reflection. And this is one of those. Come, and with me, flip through the pages of the scrapbook of life. So I will begin with the new religion I was talking about with Mia Lambert. And I knew it from before, but um, I didn't know that it was a thing that it is so popular now. So, what is it and what do I think of it? Uh, This thing comes from people who had near-death experiences, people who remember, okay? So, I... This is not the first time I know about near-death experiences. We have one woman or actress in Egypt who had near-death experience and she shared how that she was delivering her baby. It wasn't going very well, so she had a near-death experience and at that moment she flew over Cairo she saw her son who was at home and uh, how he was dressed and then she went back to her body and then when her son came to visit her uh, she saw that he was dressed the same thing that she saw when she flew and um, that was it so that this is not the first time I hear about near-death experiences. But I think the new thing is now people, when they have such experiences, they come back with uh, this idea that we found the truth. We now understand what is this life about. And also there are other people who remember. So what is this idea in the first place? What is this religion? So it is a new story that explains life. It says that there has been, there has always been, and there will always be this existence or uh, entity or whatever you want to call it. This consciousness that wanted to experience his existence through reincarnated into different life forms. And one of those forms is us. So it could be, not it could be, it is me. So I am this existence and uh, I'm here because I'm experiencing uh, my existence through my life and I would be reincarnated again and again and again. And the point of all this is to grow through the challenges and the suffering you are going through in life. I learned about the soul, the uh, this uh, 
time pre-birth where you are actually arranging your life and how this life, whatever it is, it is beautiful, it's uh, magical and you're here to learn. You know? And let me tell you, I am someone who is not against stories. I, uh, I just recently had a healing experience by doing Dr. Joe Dispenza meditation at home, which I will make a video about on my uh, channel Unique TV soon <laughs> so yeah i'm not someone who reject anything i like to experiment i like to uh, discover new things and what i like about this story uh, that it is actually very empowering it says that i am i am what i am you know <laughs> i am the one uh, I'm the one who chose this life with all its details. So um, if I'm going through suffering, I, I chose this, you know. Why? Because I'm trying to learn and grow and mature. And uh, it is a very good story. It is a story that is very suitable for what we, for humanity knowledge now, because before, Humans only had the limit was the sky, right? They look up and they just see the sky. Now we know that there are uh, universe, there is a universe, there are galaxies and planets and all that. So the old stories, um, maybe not many people are now uh, fascinated with. So they needed a new story, and this is a new story that matches with this idea of the universe and the galaxies and and uh, living in, in different forms and shapes and probably if we discover there are aliens it will also fit with this <laughs> it is a good story it is empowering it makes me feel that uh, uh, life is fun even when i'm suffering you know because i chose this and i'm trying to grow and mature but in my opinion as someone who's a writer, I write stories, right? So my imagination is huge. And I see in this story limitation. So this story is just limited with the reality. We see that uh, there is suffering. There are life challenges. We die. We can't change this. So we are just coming up with explanations. But uh, in my book, in my Arabic book, came and gone, I had a story where I was trying to imagine if, if, if it was my choice, how would I design life? And, um, and this just uh, make me realize that, you see, if it is, if I am who it is, <laughs> if I am what it is, the universe or the consciousness or uh, in me, why would I imagine a different life, right? And also this idea that there are some people who remember. So, for example, we have Matthias Di Stefano. When they ask him, uh, okay, you know, that, you know all this knowledge about the universe, about previous lives, and you believe this. And he say, no, I don't believe. I remember. <laughs> and okay. I remember you are this universe or existence and uh, you came here and you remember, so why don't I remember as well? Like, uh, I would like to remember. 
So why would some people remember and others no? And of course they have an answer. The answer is, well, if you remember, you will not be enjoying as much. But Matthias de Stefano, he's, he's remembering and he's still enjoying. He's actually enjoying more. <laughs> So it just, I mean, I understand it's a very good story, but I just can't have it as my 100% uh, uh, truth of this experience of life. It could be that it has some truth in it, but it's not the ultimate truth. And this idea that this existence want to mature and grow, I would like to understand for how long or to what extent he want to mature and mature and grow like doesn't i would like if if this was me and i am this existence i would say to myself enough is enough we matured enough we suffered enough and it is just endless i mean and i i again it comes from this limitation of imagination that you can't imagine a life that you can enjoy without suffering. The other problem with this story is that it it's also depending on the belief. You need, like before, you have someone that tell you this is the explanation of life and uh, this happened and that happened and you need to believe the story, right? The same with this one. You, uh, those people, yes, they had near-death experiences, uh, someone remember and all that, but... You still, for you, you need to believe, you know. You didn't have the experience. You don't remember, but you need to believe. Uh, so I don't see much difference. And I always say, if there was one way that is just so clear, you see, like, for example, this, this explanation of life that uh, makes everything... Uh, uh, perfectly understood or um, it makes perfect sense or whatever everyone would have followed it if you see that the followers of this belief for example they have superpowers or something everyone would follow that <laughs> but uh, no there are stories and you need to believe the story and this new religion is no difference you still need to believe the story as I said, I have an experience with Dr. Joe Dispenza meditation and all that, but it made me feel that I have control over my reactions. So if I'm going through suffering and I had health issues for about five years, um, what I changed was my reaction towards this problem. I, I stopped victimizing myself. So you see, I, I have power. Uh, over my reactions, but I don't have this, that I am the universe, I am the one, I'm capable of doing anything and everything. And I still believe that there is in life limitations. There is, it, it's not just what Mia was saying, that you have to wait for things to happen. No, there are things that are out of your control. Uh, you don't have uh, a magic stick where you can work like they say, because they want to portray it as you as you could be a god if you want. And I, I can't see that, okay? As I said, you have control over your uh, reactions and you, you have some kind of power, okay? In that, but it's a limited power. I don't believe it is unlimited. 
And uh, if I was that universe or ex conscious or existence or whatever, I would design life in a totally different way. And guess what? You would be able to grow and mature without the need for suffering in my world, <laughs> in my life. Okay, another thing I noticed from Mia and the Farus is their career path. So they, it seemed to me that both of them were trying to follow their passion. So Mia was into music, into dancing, um, and also the Farus was into fancy cars and martial art, and both tried to make a living out of that. And I guess that this is now a big thing that everyone is thinking about. I want to follow my passion. Um, I do listening. Uh, so listening is if you have something that you want to talk about, share with anyone uh, without judgment. You want just to vent. Uh, you want just to talk to someone about something on your mind. So I do listening sessions. I will leave a link to it if you want to learn more. But uh, in one of the sessions, someone was telling me how that she feels that her life has like no meaning because specifically because of her career, because she's doing something that she doesn't love, she doesn't hate, but she doesn't feel that she's doing this, you know, something that uh, changed people's lives and she feels that the importance of her, of her existence and she was very frustrated with this. And uh, I was thinking about it because I'm someone who always follow my passion without knowing that there is such a thing as following my passion. So I was always doing what I love. And if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, and if I had to force myself to work something that I don't love or I'm excited about, guess what? I get sick. I get sick. <laughs> so, so I always do what what I love, and and then uh, things follow. You know, like uh, rewards follow. But that's how I was all the time. And when I take breaks, so I always sit with myself and start thinking. Okay, what do I want to do with my life at this point? Uh, sometimes I just do simple jobs because, for example, I don't want something that exhausts me mentally. For example, I was uh, uh, working in a, in a learning English center in Egypt. I was a teacher assistant, just helping with cutting papers to little children. But my idea was I wanted to get to know um, uh, people from other cultures. And I was so interested in the West. So I wanted to get in contact with people who are from, um, let's say, Europe or West Europe or America or such countries. And uh, that job, it was simple. It, uh, it had nothing to do with my education, uh, but I just did it because I wanted to relax and I wanted to meet new people. And so I always sit with myself and see, what do I want to do now? It doesn't have to be something huge or big, but... Recently, I discovered what is called the Ikigai. And the Ikigai is a term coming from the Okinawa Island. Uh, I'm sure you heard about it before, where people are living long life, uh, 
till let's say 120 years um, and they are living a healthy life. So they were researching the food, the water, the energy and one of the things they discovered was the Ikigai and the Ikigai is your purpose in life and it has four pillars or you need to check four points. First one is that you are doing something that you are passionate about. Second, it's something that you are good at. Third, it is something that adds value to other people's lives. And the fourth is that something that rewards you. So you get money for it or whatever benefit you get. And so everyone now is trying to find this icky guy. They are trying to discover... Um, what is my passion? What is my ikigai? Something that I wake up every day excited about. And um, I think that actually you don't need something huge, something that will change the world to feel valuable. Uh, it could be just something simple. Uh, because I started to remember my grandparents. So my grandfather from my father's side, he was working in a post office. He spent all his life, he was just every day, jump on his bike, go to the post office, do whatever routine things that he does, and then come back. And even after work, it was the same. <laughs> uh, the same for my grandfather from my mother's side. He was, uh, he was, let's say, an entrepreneur. He had a small shop. Uh, that was so oily because he was selling oil, rice, and things like that. And he didn't get, he didn't earn much money. He had about, let's say, 13, 14 children. And uh, yeah, he used to go to this shop, which was about 3 meters by 3 meters, very small, and just try to earn some little money. Because mainly everyone was producing their own food, so we had, or they had animals, because I was living with them for a while. But they had animals on the roof to to eat, they had farmers around them. So actually, uh, money was not so much needed. And uh, And when I think about my grandparents, or even humans before that, there was no such a thing as following your passion, you know? There wasn't much options. Uh, your daily purpose was just to find food. And that's, that's why we have the term, or what Farus was saying, uh, bread earning, right? Because that's, that's why people were working, just to get something to eat. And that's how my grandparents spent their lives without any huge, major... Uh, dreams of changing people's lives or anything like that but nowadays with the comfort and technology and you know people have more time to think and reflect <laughs> so they started just thinking okay what, what is my grand purpose that I want to uh, discover and I think there isn't there isn't a grand purpose you just do what you love. Uh, and, and this is also what I believe. Don't love what you do. I'm, I'm against this do what you love until you... Or love what you do until you do what you love. No, life is too short. Don't waste it. Just try to do what you love as soon as possible. 
as soon as it's suitable for your circumstances. I think the idea is to, for me, for example, I just try to enjoy my creativity. I try to discover something new every day. And uh, I don't think much of the ikigai. I would love if it happened, as I said, in this era, we do have the possibility to have those four pillars. But if it didn't happen, well, it's enough for me to tick the first uh, two, which is do something I'm passionate about, something I'm good at. Um, And for example, I'm doing this podcast now, which started as a documentary film. And my main goal is to understand life. And if this adds value to your life, I would definitely be happier. But if it didn't, I'm just satisfying this need in me that I need to know, I need to explore, I need to discover. And whether I get a reward or not, I mean, I would love to have a reward so you can support my creations. (laughs) But uh, if if it didn't, um, at least I tried. And this is what I have been always doing. So, like, I always changed my career because I just knew that I have to, you know. It wasn't a question, like, what do I want to do with my life? No. When I wanted to become a graphic designer, it was like, I need to be a graphic designer, you know. (laughs) Or when I wanted to become a documentary filmmaker, I have to become a documentary. Like, it's happening. No. No way to... Just think about it or something. I was so sure what I want to do and it has to be done. So what about you? How do you see this following your passion? A new term that is now in the modern civilized world. And let me go back to the Okinawa Island and tell you, okay, they found this term Ikigai in the Okinawa Island. But guess what those people were doing? They were farmers, they had gardens, they had sheep to take care of, so it was all about their food, right? It's not that they were thinking, oh, what is my passion, what am I going to do today? (laughs) No, they were just satisfied with what they have, and it was gardening and taking care of the animals, and which, which, of course, they eat, it adds value also to other people's lives because they feed the others. And uh, it is a reward in itself because it's food. And this takes me also to my uh, conversation with Mia when we talked about growing our own food and how this is like really so important. Uh, So yeah, I mean, I would like to be able to grow my own food soon. Maybe not farming by myself because I wasn't used to it and I think it would be very hard work for me. But just to have a small project where I have also other people to help me. Another thing that I would like to reflect on is uh, during my conversation with the Farus who converted to Islam, he was talking about how that Islam was the choice for him because, for example, one of the reasons is that Islam knocked down the first three reasons for divorce, which is adultery, uh, sexual intimacy, and financial issues. And... um, I was thinking about that because, you know, I lived most of my life in the Arabic Muslim world where laws are inspired by the Sharia law. And I know what is like what is happening, especially in Egypt, 
what I find interesting when you look at a lot of the um, disaster in the divorce system, you know, where I grew up, which is being rectified um, at the moment, you know, still not enough was that in the divorce right now, um, eight out of every 10 divorces in um, the West at this time are initiated by women. Something very interesting he was saying is that researchers found that men are less likely to file for divorce. And so this, uh, when you look at Islam and how that men have the right to divorce the women, so this just explained to you why this exists. Uh, so men have the right to divorce women because men are less likely to initiate the divorce. And it makes perfect sense. And I noticed this verb, file for divorce. Uh, definitely this research is coming from the West or from a Western country, probably from America, okay, because he's American. So, yeah, men are less likely to file for divorce. But in the Muslim Arabic world, men don't need to file for anything. They just have the right to divorce. So how do they do that? They do it by something called oral divorce. So the man can say, you are divorced and the woman is divorced. It's just, it's called oral divorce because it's just verbal. So what is, what is the consequences of this? So now we apply the Sharia law. Men have the right to divorce their women. And guess what is happening a catastrophe. There is a catastrophe in Egypt, and I'm talking about Egypt because what I'm familiar with. So many men who, let's say, lose their temper, they are angry, they are stressed, whatever the reason is, they just lose it and they divorce their wife. And then after a while, they come down and then they realize, oh my God, what have I done? I divorced my wife. And they try to find a way out. Um, so they go to the fatwa center. And now, the, actually, fatwa center, you can also call. It's a hotline. So they call the fatwa center. Please help me. I divorced my wife. What can I do? And they have to investigate. It takes time, you know, and energy. And there is this center that is dedicated for things like that. And they question him. How did you say it? When did you say it? What was And, and then... There would be one of two solutions, whether this divorce uh, didn't really happen or they will consider that it didn't happen and he can feed, for example, 10 poor people or something. Or no, it happened and uh, it is counted as one divorce because the man can divorce his wife up to three times. Um, then she has, to, she has to marry someone else, another man, and then he can return her. And uh, this is a big issue in Egypt now because of this oral divorce and the amount of cases and waste money and energy on it that actually Egypt is planning to make a project of a law that uh, state that only like you have to certify your divorce for it to really become legal or to be acknowledged. And guess what? 
this project of this law that is supposed to solve this problem of all those men who are less likely to file for divorce in the West, but when they got the right to divorce, they are doing it. Uh, <laughs> they, are, they have no limits, you know. So, as they are trying to make this law, everyone is against it because it's against the religion, right? So it's not easy to, what he said, that uh, because the Farus was telling me that in America now, the laws are not good, but they're being rectified. Okay, that's good. But in, in Egypt, they can't even be rectified because everyone is against them because those are religious rules or, or laws. You can't just rectify them. Although it is so clear that oral divorce is just a big mess, uh, but still people are like very attached to the, to the text. Like they, they don't... Uh, use their brains to to think and rectify and and that's so sad and it's sometimes actually it's so funny when you see for example in Egypt someone swear with the divorce so for example he say uh, if you if you go out uh, with your friend you are divorced and then if she does then she's divorced or for example you have to go downstairs and kiss my mother's hand and <laughs> I swear, I swear with the divorce that if you don't go downstairs and kiss my mother's hand, then you are divorced. And so it is being used also as a, as a weapon against women to just force them to do things. So the man is usually have the, the power to control the woman. Uh, and that's, I don't know, I, I don't see this as fair. Also, they are using it, for example, if it can happen, like without, if someone is just using the swearing of the divorce. So if, if you have a guest, for example, and you tell them, I swear to God, I will divorce my wife if you don't finish your food. And then if you discover that this guest, for example, he, he has health issues, he can't eat too much or something, then you have to divorce your wife. And it's, uh, again, a, another problem. So oral divorce is... A catastrophe, a disaster. So that is an issue. And uh, another thing he was also talking, uh, telling me about the khola, the khola where the woman has the right to divorce or, or divorce herself. So she needs to return the money that the man paid for her to marry her. And then she can file for divorce. So the woman needs to file for divorce in the Muslim Arabic world. Um, and the problem is this khola, it's, it's actually a new thing. Khola was introduced recently, in recent years. And it was also like there were a lot of arguments about it. People didn't want it. They thought it's not of the religion. And 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 but then it happened. But before that, women were suffering so much because uh, men... For example, a man doesn't want to divorce his wife, but also he can just go marry another one. And the woman is just staying like that. Uh, she can't marry another one because she's still married and she, can't, she has no way out. So luckily now they introduced the khola. But um, yeah, so I was thinking, is it really true that those, this Islamic system is solving uh, is is connected to reality and it's solving the marriage and divorce problems. 
Um, also, when I think about uh, the, the three reasons for divorce adultery that was knocked down by by also the, the Islamic laws, uh, I really don't see how, coming from Egypt, I'm talking about <laughs> Egypt because uh, it is so normal. If you, if you go to Egypt and just uh, integrate in the society a bit, because you can go for a holiday, you will not know nothing. But if you go and live there and try to understand the society and what's going on, and it would, it would be better if you just lived there and you know you will have a better view. So people, women usually talk a lot about adultery, how that my husband cheated on me and then the other woman say, yeah, he, all, women, all men are like that, you know. Uh, it is so normal because they have this sexual, uncontrolled sexual desire that they need to satisfy, right? Uh, so it is so forgiven that the men uh, commit adultery, uh, while if the woman does it, it's a disaster. <laughs> so I don't see how Islam uh, got over adultery, because it is happening, and it's forgiven for the man, but it's not forgiven for the woman. And then we come to this uh, dividing responsibilities, where the woman is responsible for the sexual intimacy and the man is responsible for the financial issues. And you hear this and you think, okay, women are responsible for the sexual intimacy. You think, for example, the woman is supposed to create, I don't know, like interesting sexual activities on daily basis, Kama Sutra, you know. <laughs> She's responsible for this department. But in reality, no, that's not the meaning of this. The meaning is that if your husband wants to have sex, you can't say no. You have to obey. You have to do it. Uh, so this is the meaning that women are responsible for sexual intimacy. So you don't work. You don't need to get money, right? This is not your responsibility. But if I want to have sex with you, you need to be ready at all times. This may be not the intention of Islam, but that's how people apply it and interpret it. And then again, we come to the, the man responsible for financial issues. And this makes khula difficult. So for the woman, if she wants to have the divorce, she needs to pay the man what he paid her, right? And also, she doesn't have income. So... If she got divorced, from where she can support herself? So many women stay in the marriage just because of the sake that uh, they are helpless. They have no way to have financial independence. Do I believe that there is a system that solved the marriage divorce problems? No, I don't think so. Uh, life is uh, not perfect and also it is different from one couple to another you can't make one system and expect that it will work for everyone so what i think is that if you want to have if you want to solve couples relationships marriage or divorce or whatever you need to look at each case and uh, think about it in a in a let's say uh, in, a, in an advanced way to find a solution for it there is something called Lawrence Kohlberg's stages of moral development right and on the higher level of this moral, moral development uh, uh, scale 
is that you need to look at things, look at the big picture and come with a judgment, right? But many people don't have that. So you have the less developed moral stages where you just depend on laws and you depend on rewards and punishment. So this is what people are are doing now. But I think the right solution is you look into each uh, couple problem and then you see what is the situation. So for example, once I was flying from Italy to Belgium and a woman was sitting beside me and she invited me to come to her home and I discovered that she's uh, a family lawyer and she's so successful. She has many branches of her office and she's married to a Syrian refugee many years, like since many years, and they have a child. So she is responsible for the financial issues because she's a successful lawyer. And her husband, who is a Syrian refugee, you know, he didn't, when he first came to Belgium, he didn't know the language. He, he didn't have better chances, right, compared to her. So... He's the, when, when I went to visit her, he, had, he was taking care of the garden, he was taking care of the house and their daughter. He uh, made for us lunch and they are happy like that. So you can't just put rules and laws on people expecting that uh, uh, it will work for everyone. <laughs> So from my experience, observations, and living in under the Sharia law, I don't see that, as the Farus was saying, that uh, this is solving the problem of divorce and marriage. And this takes me to the idea that um, sometimes the, the grass on the other side is greener, right? So... Because you are not living in such a society, you may look at it from a distance and you think that, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> but uh, my suggestion is to just go, go and live there and see how things are. He was saying something important also, if things are not uh, working out, it's because whether people don't understand the laws or they are not applying them properly. So I don't know what he has to say about my reflection on this point. So maybe he has uh, an answer. But uh... So for me, for example, I'm very fascinated with... Uh, because I already grew up with Islam and Christianity. And those are the non-religion in the Arabic world. And especially Islam because it's the religion of the majority. But you see, because grass on the other side is greener, I'm really looking forward to discovering religions which or beliefs that I, I'm not familiar with. So like uh, the Baha'i religion, for example, or uh, Far East religions, uh, or anything that I never heard of before. But it was very interesting to see Islam from the point of view of... Um, an American Muslim, and I like about the Farus that he digged really deep. He really um, looked into it, compared and researched. I guess that's the right way to do things. I wonder who I will be meeting next. And uh, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or follow me on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcast, the Scrapbook of Life. And let's see where this journey will take me. <laughs> 
If you want to support my creations, I will leave link in the description box and the show notes of all possibilities of support. On my journey to understand life, I would like to meet you and document your life story in the scrapbook of life. Send a summary of the story to the email in the description box or the show notes. Just few requirements. You need to be over 40 years old, you changed your belief, and you have answers to the mysterious questions of life. This journey of mine started when I met Wang Tsong Yang in a documentary film, and you can watch it below. My thirst to answers is pushing me to discover and meet more people who are living this life experience to the best possible way, through their own belief. Who is next? And which belief? I'm open to all possibilities.